Welcome to Detroit Strange. Yeah, beat me to it. I saw it in your eyes. I'm like, she's gunning for it. I am. It's this red lighting in uh, our I makeshift studio. <laughs> yes. For some Making reason, I made devious. the I know. I made the color, like my basement lights can change colors. So they're just red, yellow, and orange right now. Mm-hmm. Like just scattered about. It's a lot of fun, though. I mean, it's like being at Planet Ant uh, with yeah. the, the color changing light. Yeah. No, I just did this because it matched the fire. And I was like, I want it to feel warm down here. It feels warm. Right? Yeah, it's nice. It's very cozy. I saw that at a science museum one time that lighting can affect how you feel temperature. And I just oh, 100%. stuck with me. And yeah. So I'm like, when I want it to feel warm down here, warm colors. Yeah. No, that makes a yeah. lot of sense. I mean, I took color theory classes. Yeah. Maybe not specifically temperature, but how it affects like mood and yeah, all that was discussed a lot. It's so. interesting. It's like a weird like crossover of psychology and art in a way. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Well, we uh, we've been pretty busy. Oh my gosh, yes. We've got a new show. We do coming up at Planet Ant starting Thursday tomorrow. Or no. We come on Tuesdays. We come on Wednesdays, right? Yeah, it is okay. tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. So it, <laughs> I was like, I'm right. Am I? Yeah. No, yeah, you okay. are. Yeah. So tomorrow, if you're listening to this. Yeah. If you're in the area, come by any Thursday for the next two, say, year or so. And yeah. And check it out. Yeah. We're really excited about it. They're all like, there's a lot of new people in the group. Mm-hmm. And it's just been nice to kind of get to know new people and you mm-hmm. know, new group. And get to know some people I've known, but more. Yeah. So check it out. That's our plug. Uh, Goodbye. Thanks. It's been great. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) And that's today's show. Yep. I'll like three minutes of it (laughs) or whatever we're at. But no, it is officially, I think we can officially call it the start of the holiday season now. Thanksgiving has passed. It is the holidays. Mm -hmm. Because Thanksgiving is not the holiday. No. I mean, again, I don't like the root of Thanksgiving, but Thanksgiving itself. Yeah, I can some food, hang out with some people. I can get down with the idea of like thankful gratitude, that kind of stuff and spending time with family. But Mm -hmm. like the history and then also the gross like Black Friday kind of thing. It's been a lot better this year because they're just spreading. I don't know. Well, it's I think it's more on the Internet and stuff, too. And like Target is not going to be open or was not open on Thanksgiving anymore ever again, which is smart because that's stupid to be open. Let's not. And Yeah. I did the other day, though. I watched Adam's Family Values. That is the second movie of, like, the live Adam's Family movies from, like, a while ago. Yeah, yeah. There's a part in it. They're at summer camp, and they have to do a play, and it's a Thanksgiving play, specifically, because they do different American holidays, I guess, every year at this camp. Yeah. And it's so great, because Pugsley comes out dressed as a turkey, and they sing this song, and he's like, eat me, eat me. And then at the end of it, Wednesday, who is playing Pocahontas, so it's like very off. I've seen gifts of that. It's so good because she comes out and she's like, hi, da, da, da. And like very friendly with the the pilgrims, as it were. Yeah. And then she's like, we will not break bread with you. And then they basically start attacking them all. And I was like, oh, this is a good Thanksgiving play. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen that. I haven't seen either of them. I need to watch them both. We'll add them to the list because I love them. We could do a double feature for that. And just I, do one and then the other. I love a double feature. Because mm-hmm. like when you get movies that go together. Mm-hmm. And Joan Cusack's on that one. And I do know you're a Joan Cusack fan. I do love a Joan Cusack moment. Yeah. She's fantastic. Oh, yeah. Do you like Joan Cusack? I love her. Did we talk about what your first movie you saw her in was? Because mine's Ice Princess. And I don't love that for me. 
Because it was not a great movie. Don't think I saw that one. I think mine was actually the first one I remember seeing her in. So it might not be the first one, but the first one I remember her from is the movie Toys with Robin Williams. I've never heard of that one. It's real interesting. It's there's basically this brother and sister, I guess, and they grow up in like a toy factory that their father owns. Uh I think he like passes away. And then this other company comes in to like take it over, but they're still working there and whatnot. Yeah. And then uh, the company that comes to take it over, they're really into video games, but they're actually into using video games as military. Oh, wow. Way where basically like they're real games. Also, LL Cool J is in it because he's the son of the guy who like overtakes it and he's like, whatever. Uh, And it's I don't want to spoil too much of it. It's dark. It's a little dark, but it's got some humor in it. It sounds like a great movie. We'll add that to the list. Yes. <laughs> because it, I love the movie Toys. It's the antithesis of what it sounds like based on the right title. But it's a really well done, interesting movie. Like Toys and Toy Story. I can see like, mm-hmm. oh, which one? Do, I want the toy movie. Mm-hmm. And, and this one was one? far before Toy Story franchise okay. started. So yeah, I don't know what year off the top of my head, but it would put it in the 90s. Yeah. But I... It's a good movie, and I love Joan Cusack. And I mean, like, anytime I see her, I love her. But yeah, that was the first one I remember. Um, I'm trying to think what other movies she was in. That well, she's—I mean, she's been in a ton of movies. I know she's one of those actresses that, like, I feel like she has a lot of. Um, yeah, she's kind of like she has like bigger movies, and then she also has like a lot of like side part movies. I feel like. Oh yeah, no, for sure she. I mean, I know she's in a lot of John Cusack movies, too. Yeah, she's definitely sense. done, you know, characters in those. I I, I know I'm not going to lie. I'm looking up things like I know she was in Gross Point Blank, which. Oh, yeah. That's a fun Michigan movie right there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I forgot she was in Perks of Being a Wallflower, too. Oh, yeah. She was the mom. Or no, she was the counselor. Yes, I believe so. I can yeah. kind of see her in like. Yeah, I think it was, she was just at the end of like, Charlie, you had a psychotic breakdown or whatever mm-hmm. i think she's amazing uh and yeah her oh yeah she was in high fidelity that's another time she was in a john cusack movie i don't know for that one either you don't know high fidelity no oh it's give me the deeds <laughs> it's a john cusack movie in which he works in a record shop and he's kind of going he lists his top five for everything he's like a record nerd yeah his girlfriend dumps him essentially and then he kind of starts going through his top five breakups of all time and finding them uh-huh. to like ask them like what went wrong. Uh-huh. But he's not necessarily like actually learning from them as much as he should. Also, the cast is just. It's a really good cast because it's got like, yeah, Lisa Bonet is in it and Jack Black's in it. Tim Robbins is in it. A bunch of other people, too. I'm trying to think of things off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Catherine Zeta-Jones is in it as a character. Like I do like her, too. It's a good movie. Uh, it's a book. It's based off of a Nicholas Hornsby, maybe. I don't know. It's a book yeah. as well. But I've heard the book's good, too. Yeah. <laughs> Love Joan Cusack. Very excited whenever yes. she shows up in something. Because you know it's going to be good. For sure. Or at least she's going to be good, even if the movie's not. Yeah. So. They're definitely... Actors can save something if the writing is not great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. A performance can... 
a performance can change the world. I don't know why yeah. I felt compelled to say that, but I did. Yeah. I've been watching holiday movies now officially. What are your go-tos? Oh gosh, I don't even know, but I do enjoy like a really terrible like Hallmark one. Okay. Um, I watched the new one on Netflix. I'm forgetting what it's called right now, but it's about a... To have Vanessa Hudgens in it, that seems to be her bread and butter these days. Well, there's a... Yes, there is a third princess switch. I did try to oh, watch God. it. I was doing something else. It wasn't that good, to be honest, which like... How usually... many times can you switch the princess, you know? Well, there's a cousin. Oh, good. I don't know. But it's... There's always a cousin, isn't there? Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I, the first two are enjoyable because... Are they? Okay. In a... I, I've not, like, I don't know anything about them. Like, if... is it worth a watch? The first two for sure... I have to revisit the third and not be distracted. But I I think it might have been stretching it too much where like the first two kind of fit into that mold of like just cheesy. Yeah. The cheesy holiday movie. This one, they're reaching a little too far. Maybe. They're asking a little too much of this idea. Yeah. Yeah. No, the but the first movie I watched was the other Netflix one where the the, the catfish one. I forget the name of it. Oh. That one was cute. Okay. Forget the name, but it was cute. It was a holiday something i don't know and then i also watched holiday which i have watched before and is not exclusively a christmas movie i'm blanking on this one i know i've definitely heard it's, of it um it's emma roberts and she oh. doesn't want to basically she comes her aunt has a theory uh-huh. that y- you can bring a holiday to things and it's just somebody you bring just to be your date for the holidays so you don't have to show up to functions like alone but also people won't bug you that's smart yeah and then she meets somebody becomes a holiday with them for a year and i won't ruin the rest of it okay that one was good i i enjoy that one i wouldn't necessarily be like it's a good movie but i enjoyed it kristen chenoweth plays her aunt and i do love her i think that's a lot of fun too yeah yeah it's a fun movie we'll say yeah I want to watch that one from last year, too, that I forget the name of with Kristen Stewart again. Oh, yeah. I couldn't tell you the name, but. It was good. I just remember liking it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, Kristen Stewart just elevates everything she does, I feel like. Mm-hmm. But Even yeah. The, Twilight. Well, yeah. she didn't do great in Twilight, but she made she that was the character. Yeah. I mean, it was the thing. It wasn't it was yeah. its own thing. It wasn't my thing. So I really want to see Spencer. That's the one where she plays Princess Diana. Oh, yeah, yeah, It looks good. I've heard I, mixed things, so I'm not sure yet. I haven't heard great things. Yeah. I've heard, like... Well, I've I say mixed, mixed, I meant I haven't heard anything good. Right. But I feel like knowing the director, because the same guy who did Jackie. Okay. And I was like, I can appreciate this type of storytelling. So I want to mm-hmm. just see, like, what... I don't know. I think it's interesting. It's, yeah. The tra- I'm not going to rush to see it, but I will see it when it's free. That's like kind of where I'm at. Either when it's yeah. like streaming or like you can rent it at home. Yeah. It's still in like theater phase. Yeah. Which, oh, I did tell you, but I watched that Tick, Tick, Boom movie, which I was very excited about. Oh, how and was it? I enjoyed it. Good. It was popping up on my Netflix for a while of like. It just came out on Friday on Netflix. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've seen it a couple of times. I was like, Jess, I hope she's watched that. I hope she liked it. I watched it when I knew I could only watch half of it just because I wanted to watch it yeah. so badly and then finish the the next half the next day. But I'll probably do a full viewing sometime, too. And I cried. Oh, any anything to do with Jonathan Larson always gets me. He's the one who wrote Ren, correct? Yes. Okay. He's the, the writer and composer of the stage production yes. of Rent, who 
unfortunately passed away the day before it debuted. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the Broadway debut, but it was like the New York Theater Workshop debut, which is basically the thing that like when that happens, that's when producers can opt to take it to Broadway, from my understanding. Yeah. Uh, but the, but Tick, Tick, Boom is not even about that. It's actually about he he had another thing go through the New York Theater Workshop and it didn't get picked up, but it got really good reviews, uh-huh. including from um, Sondheim, a big person to notice you. Yeah. But nobody wanted to pick it up because it was going to be so expensive. And it was ahead of its times because it basically kind of called out social media before social media existed. Interesting. Yeah. Like when he wrote it, he just saw things that others didn't see. Yeah. Uh, But Tick, Tick, Boom was based on something called, um, I think called Boho Days, which was a one man show that he performed. And it was him writing about the experience of failed, the failed show, which is called Suburbia. Mm Mm-hmm. And it was basically him writing about like his life kind of surrounding those times. Yeah. And then that got turned into later. People took those songs and they turned it into a two person show with two singers and like a very limited band. And they called that Tick, Tick, Boom. Okay. Mm-hmm. Which um, Lin-Manuel Miranda, he actually performed in Tick, Tick, Boom once, which is interesting. Oh, interesting. That, yeah. And now he directed this movie, which is cool. Did he direct? No, he directed In the Heights. He's not directing the new West Side Story, is he? I don't think so, but I'd have, I don't know that off the top of my head. Okay. I think he's been involved in a lot lately. So yeah. I think he's, is he involved with the new Wicked? I don't know that. I know oh, yeah. that Tick Tick Boom was his directorial debut as far as film. Yeah. Which was, you know, cool. And yeah. I think he liked it. So I think he's doing more. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I know. But. He did a good job and you can tell like he he had passion behind it, which is cool. He's a cool guy. I don't know much about him. He's like just I don't know. Every time I've ever seen him, he's always doing something like really cool for like a fan and like things like yeah. that. And he's like very I don't know him personally, but he just yeah, he, he seems just cool. seems really yeah, like genuine. Yeah. Possibly. And that's cool. That's yeah. Gives off those good vibes. I can appreciate I enjoy that. that. Yeah. 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 But that's not why we're here today. No. Although we love a movie chat. We love a movie chat. That's why we're starting our side series of movie chat specifically. Yes. Where we're actually watching the things. Cinema Strange, right? That, that's what you called it, yeah. 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 I like Cinema Strange. I like it too. The reason we're here, though. Yes. Is I've got a story to tell you. Ooh, I can't wait. I actually took... Uh, a cue from you. This uh-huh. came from the book Wicked Detroit. Okay. Which is actually by somebody different. I remember we like discovered that like once and it was like, that's weird. Especially because the titles are so close, but I guess it is just kind of out of this book series. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So this one is by Mickey Lyons. Okay. And a little Wikipedia in here. I'm just putting the sources up here because there's not yeah. that many today. So have you ever heard of Joseph Campo? I heard the street. Exactly. Named after this person, I do believe. Yeah. So he was a real person. He was born into a prominent Detroit family. Just And just to kind of lay out the scene a little bit, just a few years before his birth, Detroit kind of fell into the hands, not kind of, Detroit fell into the hands of the British. Mm-hmm. and Because it's the early 1800s. Yeah. This created an interesting dynamic 
kind of going on in the area. Because again, just a quick refresher we've talked about a little bit before, mm-hmm. but you have the French settlers here. Yeah. You have the local indigenous tribes, and then you also have the British kind of coming in. Yeah. So during his lifetime, he would see Detroit's population go from about 2,000 to almost 46,000 people. That's a lot. Yeah. Huge increase. A little bit about his appearance, and then we'll tell. I'll tell you a little bit about his past, but he was a tall, lean, clean shaven man. He was often known for wearing a ubiquitous long black coat and pristine vest. So kind of, you know, well put together. Yeah. He always carried his record book with him, which he kept very meticulous records of every transaction in French. Wow. He was born February 20th, 1769 to Jacques Campo, who was the son of one of Cadillac's most trusted settlers. And a woman named Catherine Menard. So his grandfather, Jacques Campo, left Montreal and settled at Fort Pontchartrain, du de Trois. Yes. In 1708. And Antoine de la Mothe Cadillac founded Fort Pontchartrain, du de Trois, in 1701 and sold 68 land grants between 1707 and 1710, two of which were sold to Campo, mm-hmm. the Campo brothers. So basically, this family had land in Detroit very early on. Yeah. So about Joseph Campo himself, he had little formal education in his early years because there wasn't much offered nearby. Yeah. So at age 10, he was sent to Montreal for formal school. Mm-hmm. He returned in 1786. So he was like 17, 18 and jumped into business. He took on a partnership with a shopkeeper named McGregor on St. Anne Street which is now Jefferson Avenue. Okay. Soon he had plenty of trade, and by 1792, he owned his own store on Atwater by the river with his living quarters above. He was the first in Detroit to purchase goods from Boston, and eventually he opened three trading posts at Saginaw, one on Lake St. Clair, and one on Lake Erie. He was called, and I'm going to say this the best I can, Chimo. Kamun, which means big shot by the chief of Sarnia and chief of Lake St. Clair. Okay. With the help of his younger brother, Barnaby, a.k.a. Barnabas. What a name. I know. What a name. uh, Who is also a wealthy businessman making his living as a fur trader, merchant, and landowner. It's such a clown name. I feel like Barnaby. Yeah. Like a circus. I feel like he should be a circus guy. Maybe he was eventually. I don't know. I didn't look. I didn't look much up. Oh, no, just that name. But eventually this partnership with his younger brother would help him Mm. immensely in the field of trade. One thing to mention about his brother is that one of his properties was actually Belle Isle. Oh, my God. I know. I just had to throw that in. Yeah. Through Joseph's brother, he began to make connections in Montreal, Boston, and with local indigenous groups. These connections would prove to bring him almost instant wealth. I mean, he was like, Kind of born into it, but also kept it growing. Yeah. Yeah. So at his posts that I mentioned earlier, earlier was like 30 seconds ago. Mm -hmm. He sold guns, powder, sugar, cloth, nails, spirits like whiskey, rum, and brandy, and other sundries. Ooh. And with the profits he made from these ventures, he would go on to start buying property. The cycle continues. Mm -hmm. Eventually... He had more than a thousand acres on the far east side and another 500 in Springwells on the southwest side, which he rented out to new settlers. Soon it became known, though, that Campo purchased and leased but never sold his land. 
This would lead him to eventually be known as a slumlord. Mm. He often charged late fees. He was not, you know, shy to do that on top of the regular fees to his tenants. And probably wasn't that helpful, it sounds like. I probably should have seen that coming with how the line about him carrying his record book and meticulously keeping it. Yeah. So again, getting wealthier by the minute. Yeah. And it's even thought that he was possibly the state's first millionaire by his death. Huh. When he died, he owned property more, worth more than $10 million. In that time's money? Yep. Wow. Yep. And he also held a large percentage of stock in the Michigan Central Railroad and Bank of Michigan. Okay. So that's on top of the $10 million of property. He also oh, my had God. These, yeah. That's so much. Uh, he did. He, he was very good at business, though. He spoke different dialects of several of the local indigenous tribes. He also spoke French and English, mm-hmm. so he could talk to basically most of the people around. So often Campo and his family got in trouble for exceeding the limit of spirit rations allowed for trade with nearby tribes. And he was known to be very generous with whiskey, which the settlement French priest, Father Gabriel Richard, didn't like too much. I think it's Gabriel Richard. Is it? I think so, because that's a Catholic name. Sure. Like, I feel like there's a school around here, Gabriel Richard. Okay. I mean, it's. It looks like Richard, I know. Yeah. Okay. I will go with Richard and I will do my best because I will be mentioning this man more. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm pretty, yeah. I think. Yeah. Sure. I mean, I. That's just what I've heard. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it should also be noted that he was the only priest in the territory. So he had a lot of ground to cover. So any energy he's putting towards anything means a lot. And that will kind of be more clear later. So he couldn't devote all of his time to fighting Campo. Yeah. But he spent as much time as he could. Campo was also known to bend other liquor laws. And in addition to this, he also, as many other French families of old Detroit did, he enslaved indigenous and black people Mm. in his home. Records show that he had about 10 enslaved people during the course of his life, which is just... A bummer. Yeah. One of those individuals was named Crow, and he actually would fit him in scarlet robes. Interestingly Interesting. enough. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I'm just mentioning their names, the names of those I know. Yeah. There was also a married couple named Hannah and Patterson. And there were some individuals which he unfortunately would purchase in Montreal. Mm. One of them I know was a young Boy, I think he was like eight or nine or something when he got him, but yikes. Yeah. But also let's paint a picture of who he was. Yeah. Uh late one night in 1792, an enslaved man named Josiah Cotton or Joseph Cotton broke into Campo's store and made off with some bills of sale and small items. Campo in turn gave him to the government of Upper Canada, which was newly formed at the time. And here's another gross part. Cotton became the first man executed in the new territory. Damn. Mm -hmm. Campo and his family would continue to have, quote unquote, servants well into the 1830s, long after it was outlawed in Michigan, too. Yikes. Yeah. So kind of skirting around the actual rules. But we are going to go back a little. By 1800, Campo was more rich, more wealthy, and it was rising exponentially. The same year, his elderly uncle, John Baptiste, had gotten sick and was dying. 
rather than take the time to, you know, help his uncle and risk losing money from time off, he left the care of his uncle to his cousin, Gabriel Shane, John Baptiste's son, who was John Baptiste's son-in-law. But this didn't work out too well for Joe. I wrote Joe a few times in here. Yeah. As a large portion of the great Campo estate was then passed to Shane instead. So one time he didn't do the right thing and it worked. Yeah. Father Richard's criticism of Campo and the liquor issues in the city only increased with time. Mm. What do you think Joe did? Well, he broke Catholic law and entered into the Order of Freemasons in 1800. So. Okay. Yep. If you were, if you were Freemason, you were not Catholic. Like you could not be both at the same time. I, I don't know if we've actually really talked about that, but it was a thing like the Catholic church. You could like, they were the ones that like, you can't Mm -hmm. be both. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. I know like the Masons is just kind of like, you just have to believe in some kind of higher power. Yep. By becoming a Freemason though, this would grant him more connections for the trade industry. So it was probably most likely a business move. Mm -hmm. He quickly piled up city appointments too from these connections. And by 1802, he was given the role of trustee of the city. Later, he would also serve as assessor, appraiser, inspector of water barrels, which apparently was a job. Okay. I know. City treasurer and many other profitable positions throughout the city. He was also granted several military commissions in 1806 and later during the War of 1812. But he preferred to stay close to home, mostly, again, to watch his store and probably wouldn't really actually see much battle. Yeah. By 1802, he had a young new ally, his sister's son, John Williams. Campo would mind the business interests at home and Williams took on any travel for the business. So kind of like, you know, foot on the ground. Mm -hmm. Williams would also later become Detroit's first official mayor. Interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. Under Campo's tutelage, it didn't take long for Williams to get himself into trouble, though, during his first trip to Montreal. Oh. This is where he joined up with fellow Detroit merchant LaSalle. And, of course, the two men started binge drinking. So, as you do. As you do. They then had a falling out, which led to a freaking duel. You know... You got to miss the good old days when fights just escalated to a duel. I know. This left left LaSalle injured and Williams in a Montreal prison for a few months. Damn. Mm -hmm. However, after getting out, Campo and Williams would prove to be an asset to one another. At one point, Williams was appointed as arbitrator of land disputes in the city, just as Campo himself was, I don't know, entailed in a lengthy lawsuit. So you can imagine how that worked out. Very conveniently, I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. And there's, a, I'm not going to go into the details of lawsuits because there's a lot of them in yeah. this story. And most of them in, in the sources I was looking at were kind of grazed over. But yeah, you get the gist of it. You, you get right. the whole point of it. He had many black notebooks that detailed claims, grievances, and squabbles with many Detroiters. Squabbles. Squabble, 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 squabble. Squabbles. A whole book dedicated to squabbles. Mm-hmm. Many. Wow. Many. Many books, yes. Many books, many squabbles. One of these squabbles with was with a man named Henry Connor, who was a distiller in the city. And the two had set up business in 1802 with Major Antoine de, de Quinder. Okay. But eventually know. they would fight over some non-payments of some sort and squabble, 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 squabble. Squabble. Yeah. Most of the squabbles I'm just going to like lightly mention so you can just get an idea. Yeah. A light squabbling. Mm-hmm. 
These types of problems were basically nothing, though, after June 11th of 1805. Do you know what happened on June 11th of 1805? We have mentioned it before. Oh, shit. I don't know. It's okay. I I can tell you. That's about to be a doozy. Shortly before dawn, a stable of nearby Baker John Harvey's warehouse caught on fire, burning the city to the ground, save like one building. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So this is the fire of 1805. Oh, yeah. It's on the flag. Mm-hmm. It's on the flag. That was caused by the fire at which warehouse? It was oh. just a guy's stable, basically. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it was, but it was before dawn. So, like, nobody was really up to see it happening. Oh, yeah. I don't, and I think there was, I didn't look it up for this, but I think we've talked about it before. I think there was debate over how it may have started. Like, okay. no, I don't, I don't think it's really known, but it wasn't ever pinned on anybody gotcha yeah so campo's home and warehouse was leveled to ashes as was the city yeah saint anne's church which was like the main yeah catholic church in the city where father richard resided yeah also burned down dang so this is when and we've covered this a little bit this is when augustus woodward that buffoon And Governor William Hull presided over the reconstruction of the city and they began to rebuild with Woodward's plans. The good old spokes and wheels. Yep. And as you'll remember, there were some pretty loose arrangements when it came to property in the city at the time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So Campo saw this as opportunity. Yeah. And he, he started an argument that basically... The old French contingent on the northeast side, which is called Côte de Nord-Est, should not have to suffer a long walk to get to church on Sunday. I believe the area we're talking about now is the area kind of up near Belle Isle, the Belle Isle Bridge and around there. Maybe even a little north of that. Okay. And conveniently, a wealthy landowner named Melcher, who lived outside of town, was looking to sell his farm property, which was basically at the Belle Isle Bridge. Mm -hmm. So Jefferson and Van Dyke. Campo couldn't afford the asking price for the land on his own, or at least that's what he told his fellow North Coasters, as he called them. Yeah. And he organized a cooperation of 88 residents to help buy the farm. Okay. So Campo and his cohorts then made a proposal to the city, offering to give St. Anne's Church use of the land for a reasonable fee. Reasonable. Because again, he doesn't he doesn't give away property. No, he he wants that. Lease, lease mm-hmm. money. Yep. And in Woodward's city plan, the church was to be placed at Cadillac Square. The problem with this is, though, that would require disinterment and reburial of several of the city's oldest graves in order to widen Jefferson Avenue at that area. Mm-hmm. This is when Campo wrote a petition of complaint in complaint of that plan and gathered many signatures. This would eventually become a scandal, though, mm-hmm. because a lot of the people who signed it didn't really read what they were signing. Uh-huh. I couldn't indicate this information, but what my guess is, is that they didn't see that the land was not being given to the church. It was going to essentially be rented. Yeah. So that's problematic. Yeah. I'm not sure on that. That's kind of my takeaway from it. Yeah. But basically this scandal would go on for like at least until 1909 and honestly into the 19 teens to a certain degree. Wow. So eventually, though, people were pissed because they were like, well, I signed that and I didn't I don't actually agree with it, which please read everything you say. Right. But eventually letters were sent to even higher up people throughout the state, even 
by people disavowing their signature on the original petition. Mm -hmm. So Campo and his nephew Williams and several others held tight to using the property they own for the church. But Father Richard was left completely out of all negotiations and talks about this too. So they're not even actually involving him. Because he doesn't need to be involved in no, the church building. just his church. Yeah. So quite literally, the location of the church was up to local government. That and whole like, separation of church and state. I know. It's really failing here. But again, like you have to put in the context too of there being one church in the city, basically. Yeah. So like, I think that's part of it. But it's also just wild to think about. Oh, for sure. So this left Father Richard upset and he made that known. Yeah, I bet. He was already, again, very busy man because he was already doing things like creating schools for boys and girls and introducing Detroit's first printing press and university. So, you know, no biggie. Right. And he was also caring for the sick and helping to craft the city's new motto, which is Sparamus Meloria Resurga Cinerbus. We hope for better things. It will arise from the ashes. I do love that. But Campo kept thwarting Richard's attempts to rebuild over every chance he got. He encourages peers on the Northeast to distinguish themselves from the common lot gathered yeah. in the center of town. And he used all of his power and money as well as social capital to pressure the church into selecting their land for the city's new chapel. He argued that the citizens of Nordest deserve their own chapel and priest, yet he wouldn't go as far as to pay for the salary or the upkeep of said proposals. He wanted it, but he didn't want to pay for it. Yep. Cool. <laughs> so... Richard continued to hold his service in a makeshift chapel and warehouse. I'm not exactly sure, but more towards downtown while the legal claims of the, the Malcher property were being fought on mm-hmm. and Campo continued to fight him at every turn. So meanwhile, though, Campo was rebuilding his own home, mm-hmm. you know, living in it, all that kind of stuff. There is actually still a home today. So I'm going to mention that really quick. It's on the South side of Jefferson between Shelby and Griswold. And it was built after the fire and it's at 2910 East Jefferson Avenue. And it is like a national historic registry place. In 1807, nope, that's not a a number. In 1807, the Treaty of Detroit was passed, which meant that the majority of the land in Southeast Michigan was given to the new Michigan territory for two cents an acre by the Ottawa, Chippewa, Wyandotte, and Potawatomi tribes. This compelled Governor Hull to initiate a survey of property rights by a man named Greeley. Because, again, the records of property at this time aren't good. Records, like, really before computers just were not great. That's what we learned. It wasn't well documented, and many deeds were actually transferred via handshake and a gentleman's agreement at the time. Those are so easy to track. Exactly. At one point, Woodward would actually even cite that there was only eight documented land titles in all of Detroit as of 1806. That seems low. Yeah. So it took a long time to sort all of this out. But Campo's nephew, John Williams, was moving up the political ladder at the time, and he would soon use his influence to steer negotiations in his uncle's favor. Oh, of course. Meanwhile, a little side story. In 1808, the 29-year-old Joseph Campo married Adelaide de Quinder of the DeQuinders, which is another wealthy mercantile family. Mm. Probably why there's a road. Yeah. And despite that, years earlier, Campo and his now father-in-law had actually had a squabble. We'll go back to that word. Squabble. Over a debt between them. Yeah. But now things look great. Now they're getting along great, even though that had happened in the past. So Adelaide and Campo would go on to have 12 children. Damn. 
Joseph, Adelaide, Dennis, Catherine, Jacques, Joseph, Theodore, Joseph, Matilda, and Alexander, Timothy. It was red and yellow and green and blue. Like the Joseph Amazing Technical or Drinkle song. I've never seen Joseph. I'm sorry. Oh, I was in it in high school. It's the only reason I kind of know it. The family attended mass regularly for many years, despite Father Richard's insistence that Campo repudiate his membership in the Freemasons, and he did not. Because he wanted it both ways, right? Yeah. yeah. So also that same year, 1808, many of Campo's complaint, complainants testified that he was enforcing rights over the land that he had no official claim to, including a thousand acres near the Clinton River. Campo, by this point, had been labeled as a slumlord. People kind of knew. Yeah. He was also known to extract double compound interest on loans and refuse to sell the property. Yeah. So, shady. Instead, he would lease the lands to be cleared and cultivated by tenants who were only granted temporary leases. So, you know, you can build there, but you can't have the land. And the surveyor who had been hired by Governor Hall to kind of look over all these land disputes was trying to get to the root of Campo's many deeds, but eventually walked away citing, quote, I am sorry, Campo and Williams have exerted themselves to the injury of these ignorant French inhabitants. Yikes. And he also went on to add, Campo must, for me, transact his own land affairs. So he's like, shady shade. Yeah. Yeah. In light of the mounting tensions between British and American forces in the Great Lakes region, Greeley stated, the surveyor Greeley stated, quote, war will certainly take place. Dang. Do you know what happened four years after 1808? The War of 1812? The War of 1812. So that would turn the, and again, we've mentioned it very briefly, but that yeah. would turn the city upside down, as mentioned in the Woodward episode. Campo's nephew, Williams, actually was active in the defense of Michigan territory. And he was on the, he was one of the first hostages taken after the city was surrendered on August 16th of that year. Campo was commissioned as a major during the war, but he spent most of his time marshalling his financial resources and was never on any battlefield. Not surprised. Yeah. He also formed a partnership with John Jacob Astor, who was of the very wealthy American fur trading company. So, you know, still doing business. Yeah. But as luck would have it, the war would freeze up the trade route. Smart Tends time. To happen, yeah. Mm-hmm. After Detroit was recaptured in September 1813, Campo resumed his attempts to establish the Côte de Nord-Est as the center of commerce and religion in the city once more. So that fight's not over. Yeah. Father Richard was imprisoned by the British during the war for refusing to sign an oath of allegiance, but he was released and he continued to fight against Campo. Eventually, he found time to travel to Baltimore to petition the archbishop to resolve the affair as he felt the growing city was in desperate need of a cathedral now more than ever post-war. We need it more than ever. (laughs) I mean, it's different times, and yeah, you know, it was such a central part of society. Yeah, it was kind of like the the town squared away. Yeah, exactly. So I, I, I that's why he's like yeah. pushing so hard to, for it to be some yeah like a particular place and everything. Yeah, yeah. So a few years later, in 1816, the residents of the Northeast area and Father Richard finally settled into a somewhat tumultuous agreement. And again, this is over a decade. This has been going on now. Yeah. Richard would build the new church on Cadillac Square, but the French settlers of the Northeast would be granted to hold a chapel on the Melcher property, 
but without a dedicated priest. Okay. So a separate parish was promised by the bishop of the territory as long as Campo and his peers would accept the new church grounds and stop all protests over the removal of the remains in Cadillac Square. Because mm-hmm. again, they were going to have to disinter some yeah. bodies. But this isn't exactly what happened. In 1817, an unnamed group interrupted the groundbreaking ceremony at Cadillac Square with shouting and shoveling dirt right back into the graves as they were being dug up. Oh, geez. Petty. <laughs> yes. This resulted in Campo and seven other prominent figures being excommunicated from the Catholic Church. And their chapel was placed under, I've never heard this word, inter, interdict, which I looked up, an authoritative prohibition. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if it's used in the Catholic Church, but. I've never heard it, but I also don't think this kind of thing happens very often. No, not not now. I do like the name Gabriel Richard. I was like thinking about it because we had a Gabriel Richard room at our church. And I'm like, oh, that makes sense now because he's like from around here. Yeah. I I and he was like the main them. Southeast Michigan or he was like the Michigan Territory, like priest, I think. See, like, I feel like we had just, you know, we had rooms named there all kinds of saints. So I was just like, Gabriel Richard, he's supposed to be one of the ones from, you know, whatever <laughs> there. But no. No, he's got a whole thing here. Got a whole thing. So the bishop of the region then lifted the interdict and all the excommunicates were welcomed back to the church with the exception of Joseph Campo. Our guy, Joe. Yes. A day-long party was held for the entire town, Catholics and Protestants alike, American and French alike, everybody but Joe. (laughs) The everybody but Joe party. This made Joe a little bitter. And I keep saying Joe, and I don't think he was ever called Joe, but, you know. I mean, like, the the street always is J-O-S combo usually, right? Well, yeah, but I think that's a shortened Joseph. I know, but you can pretend that's, like, that's Joe. The S is silent. That's how he went by. So good old Joe. Yeah. Got rather bitter. And his contempt and opposition for the Catholic Church grew even stronger, as you can imagine. He would go on to pursue many lawsuits against the church and civilian property owners for most of his or for the rest of his life, pretty much as a result of this. In 1831, Campo and his nephew Williams purchased the publishing equipment of the Pontiac Oakland's Chronicle, and they launched something called the Democratic Free Press and Michigan Intelligencer, which would soon be called the Detroit Free Press. Detroit Intelligencer? Uh-huh. What a name. No, Michigan, sorry, Michigan Intelligencer. Michigan Intelligencer. Mm-hmm. That's much better. <laughs> so the Detroit Free Press was born, city's first daily newspaper. So that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so not too long after, though, they turned operation over to a, a publisher and editor named Sheldon McKnight. So I think they just owned it, but like yeah. didn't really interact with it. By this time, Campo had many seats in the city due to his Masonic connections and he was pretty much without a worry in the world, like just stinking rich. So Involved many lawsuits. In, yeah. None of them affected him ever. Yeah. He continued to purchase land. And even with the many lawsuits against him, he usually would still end up on top. In 1832, he sued city leaders to clear an abandoned building that had been burned down and was spilling garbage and rubbish onto Griswold Street downtown, mm. which was not too far from St. Anne's. And he claimed that the garbage was spilling into his property and blocking traffic. The judge happened to be an old friend of his, and he was granted $2,000 for his trouble. 
Oh, his troubles. And that's when he needs more yeah. money. Yeah. And this is just one example. Yeah. Uh, this is the example I had at hand. Most of them were not listed, but right. if that's one example, you can just imagine. Oh, yeah. By 1834, the troubles over the Melcher property, because really it was never resolved. It's just where the church was being built yeah. was resolved. But the troubles over that actual property were almost settled when stockholders of the land gave the property to the church finally. Okay. They said here. They did this after Campo had decided to reopen a lawsuit with a request to divvy up the lots for sale. So it didn't really get resolved at this time. This is just what they wanted to. In 1857, a group of lawyers entered with legal action claiming that the original terms of the deed were never fulfilled. Also, by this time, the original deed holders were all dead or had sold the land to others, including Campo. He didn't own this land anymore. So he didn't even have like anything in there. And the original deed could actually not even be found. So everything they knew about it was just memory. Yeah. The diocese was only able to salvage about 117 acres of the huge plot. Lawsuit as late as 1909. So the next century by the church was again unsuccessful. So this land was just tumultuous. Yeah. For a hundred years. That's crazy. Yeah. So. Unfortunately, it seems Campo had probably won his battle against Father Richard. Yeah. Kind of a bummer. As Campo grew older, though, he began to turn his business and property management over to his sons, mostly Daniel Joseph. He still kept very close watch of his books, though. And for many years, he could often be seen leaning out the half door of the second floor above his shop on Jefferson watching it all. So just being an old creeper. Oh, yeah. Eventually, he became known as a bit of an eccentric throughout town. And stories would be told of him in almost the like comical way. Like he's walking down the street with his coat flapping in the wind and ruffled sleeves of another era, you know, kind of right thing. He would tell stories of the old days to close friends and allies while remaining very cold and pretty crotchety to anybody new. In his 90s. This man lived into his 90s. Oh, just. I know. I hate to see it. Just kidding. His heirs had him declared incompetent due to his old age. And he died just a day shy of Detroit's founding anniversary on 23rd, on 23rd, on July 23rd, 1863, at the age of 94. His obituary in the free press stated him to be, quote, honest, prudent, temperate, and sagacious, which is. I looked it up, yeah. yeah. Which is having or showing keen mental discernment and good judgment or shrewd. Yeah, okay. Yep. They used a thesaurus. Yep. Not correctly, but. Uh, It was one of those things where, too, on both of these words, I looked it up and I couldn't really. Well, that was a quote. I couldn't change that one. But I don't know. We learned two new words today. Yeah. I always love to learn new vocab. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And the Masons actually held the largest funeral Detroit had seen at the time for him. He was buried at the Protestant Elmwood Cemetery because he could not be buried at the... Because we don't want him. Yep. However, this did separate him from his wife, who was buried at the adjacent Catholic Mount Elliott Cemetery. So he could not be buried by his family. And that is the somewhat crazy-ass life of Joseph Campo, who... Wasn't good. No. Could have been worse, I guess, but wasn't good. And I'll have another story soon 
about his grandson. Interesting. I can't wait. Yeah. I almost put it with this one, but then there was so much here. I was like, no. I get it. <laughs> that is a separate episode. Because that was, yeah, that was quite the story. Because it's just, damn. Mm-hmm. Drive on that street all the time. <laughs> right. It's, you know, I, I think episodes like this are important so we can know where these names came from. Mm-hmm. And I mean, sometimes I don't like love wearing, learning about these like old jackasses. Yeah. But it, we talk about this all the time, but it's like it is important to learn things like this so that like things don't repeat itself to right. a certain extent. And yes, this exact man could not be repeated now, but. Right. It is also interesting, too, though, because, like, we talk about a lot of, like, the the wealth gap now, but it's very much in existence back then, too. You know what I mean? Like, we're talking about, like, the same power struggles and, like, economic struggles a few hundred years ago. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? That we're talking about now. And we live in a very consumer society and a capitalistic society. And it was capitalistic back then, too. but. I mean, that man had $10 million worth of property when he died in 1863. Yeah. That's an ungodly amount of money at that time. Oh, my. Yeah. It's just still the fact a lot that now, it was in but... the millions for back then, like, mm-hmm. people couldn't fathom a million, like, fathom a million dollars, you know? No. Let alone have it. Exactly. So that's just, it's wild. So, yeah. <laughs> well. That was quite the tumultuous story. Mm-hmm. I think that means you have earned yourself a two truths and a lie. Yay! So, what I've got for you today is Mental Floss had an article of 15 like craziest holiday horror movies. Fun. So, I've got two that are real and one that is fake. Cool. So. I'm in. Movie number one. Gobble, gobble, motherfucker. Yes. Okay. So the first one is called Black Christmas, and it's about a group of sorority sisters that are getting systematically picked off while getting like weird phone calls. So kind of like Christmas scream, Christmas sorority <laughs> scream. Then there's Silent Night, Deadly Night, where a happy little kid witnesses the murder of his parents at the hand of someone dressed as Santa Claus. Ew. This okay. kid grows up and then becomes... Works at, works at a toy store and then goes on a killing spree dressed as Santa Claus. Okay. And then the last one's called Sleigh Bells, but spelled S-L-A-Y Bells. Mm-hmm. And it's about, it's a slasher movie with the guys dressed like Jack Frost and he drives around in a car that he calls a sleigh and... Slashes. Slashes, Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go with number three being the lie. Number three is very much the lie. That is what happens when you do not think of the lie beforehand. But It's hard when you have to make up a concept lie. Right. Yeah. Also, I knew the first one was a movie because I've heard of that one. And the second one, I, I might have heard of. I seen any of these because they all sure. are just crazy. So thanks, Killing. We think we've talked about yeah. that one. Black Christmas, which is 1974, which is interesting. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Then Silent Night, Deadly Night was a real one. Mm-hmm. Which sounds bonkers as well. Yeah. That was the one where the kid sees his parents get killed by Santa. And then, yeah. Rare Exports, A Christmas Tale. Mm-hmm. You've, have you seen it? No. Okay. Finnish. It's a Finnish flick. Okay. 
the gingerbread man. I think I've heard, I've of, heard this of that one. one. I haven't yeah. seen it, but I feel like I've seen like a still or something. Yeah. Oh, it looks terrifying. Nasty they, like, little gingerbread man. Yeah. yeah. He looks like he looks like paper mache or like claymation or something. Just like not an appealing gingerbread mm-hmm. texture. Ew. Jack Frost. That one which, I've heard of. Which at first I thought of um, the Michael Keaton movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but then I guess it's also another. It's a horror movie, too. Yes. Okay. Around the same time, too. Probably purposely. Yeah. One family friendly and one very much yeah. not. I think the the family friendly one was just called Jack or something. I don't know. Just Jack. <laughs> Elves. Based on the tagline, they're not working for Santa anymore. <laughs> they looked like demonic. <laughs> but elves weaves Nazis, bathtub electrocutions, and solitary super grotesque elf into an utterly absurd plot. Sounds terrifying. Yep. Sint. It's a Dutch about Sinterklaas. I think it's like oh. the, the scary Santa. Yeah. Santa's sleigh. Mm-hmm. This is where... Santa and Satan, their spelling becomes pertinent because this one basically says that Santa is Satan. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All Through the House, 2015, Christmas Evil. Just the, like, I love that there's horror movies for different holidays Mm -hmm. because, like, I've seen... um, I'm surprised Krampus isn't on that list. Yeah. I've seen Krampus. Yeah, because that one came out not too long ago, right? Uh, Yeah. Like, within the past 10 years. Yeah, yeah. But, like, just so many Christmas horror movies that I thought there were. <laughs> it's a scary time of year. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, the holidays are interesting. I like them, but they're yeah. definitely an interesting time of year. There's a lot of heightened everything. Yeah. Which can be okay. <laughs> yeah, it's, they're exciting, they're fun, but they're also draining. Yes. Yeah. I would agree with that. But. They're a good time. I'm happy they're here. I'm excited to put my Christmas lights up. Yeah. I got a wreath on the door already. I've got a poinsettia and plant ICU. Yeah. Which is my shower. That, I mean, that's okay. Yeah. yeah. I'm hoping I can bring it back. Probably. It's real wilted right now. Yeah. It is weird. I mean, because they're definitely like not a cold plant, but also no. like they're not a warm. I don't know where they... I think they are like I think they are a warm plant actually. They're a warm plant and like so I was, like I read all up on poinsettias mm-hmm. of like how to save them from dying. And it was like they want like a warm atmosphere and then mist them every once in a while. Oh yeah, that makes sense. So they kind of like they grow like so they're more of a humid environment plant. So that's why I was like, I'll put it in the shower, I'll mist it. Like mm-hmm. the, my bathroom's always the warmest room in my house because it's so mm-hmm. small. And so I'm like hoping it'll come back. They're one of my favorite flowers i love them i mean they're not actually a flower they're leaves but i learned very young that 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 was my birth month of flower Ooh, i didn't know there was were such a thing but there that is. makes sense yeah yeah so i always liked them yeah well hopefully this one can come back i like did look at it today and i was like this is a clap if you believe in fairies moment right now because <laughs> this plant has had it yeah well the good news is there's more out there true in the world, so I just feel bad because this one was so pretty, and I just it was very I pretty. Let it die. It's okay. You were you were protecting your cat. That I did also say earlier today that I was rather the plant died than my cat. Yeah. So you were cat momming, the, the and that's perfect. Come back, and it's gonna be great. Yeah, yeah. But I think that wraps us. 
Mm-hmm. I think that wraps us like, like a Ghirardelli peppermint bark. Cause I know that my mother is going to have those in the house. If sure. not soon, soon, because, oh, you had those. Those are my favorite. I've had them. Um, I don't like Ghirardelli that much. That's fair. I do like the Dove. I actually I love Dove. The Dove ones are better because they have the bigger chunks of mm-hmm. candy cane. And you get a fortune. Oh, yeah. They're good. All- I wrote Although at least one bad. sketch about, oh, they've always been bad. But they were like, I don't know. They've gotten worse. I had one this summer and it was very disappointing where it was like, did you even try? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I remember they used to be like, they used to say like, Wear that red dress, Samantha <laughs> from like New York 59. Like, yeah, you know, like they yeah. like have like a little blurb about who wrote it. Somebody. I don't remember that, but that's that sounds fun. Right. It was like, wear that lip gloss from Jasmine in Idaho. <laughs> Just like, yeah. I mean, they're Dove Promises. Is that what their chocolates are called? Yeah. I never, I'm too no. busy just eating the chocolate no. to notice that Those they have are an the actual promises. Name. You're going to wear that lip gloss and that red dress if you eat two of them. So that's the promise. Me and Rania did write a sketch once where they were following all the fortunes, literally. The I Dove chocolate that. fortunes. Yeah. That's fun. Yeah. Uh, but yes, anyway, we, are, we are wrapped like a Christmas chocolate. Love it. Yeah. Perfect. But if you want to find us on our social media at Detroit Strange on Instagram and Twitter, Detroit Strange on Facebook and our Gmail address, uh, DetroitStrange at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. And if you want to support the show and it's the season, we've got yeah. merch at our Threadless shop. Get yourself something. Do you have a Detroit Strange friend? Get him a, get him a shirt. Give him and a sometimes there's a lot of sales, especially this time of year on yeah. Threadless. If you're wondering about it, get at us and we'll let you know. Yeah. You could also support the show by giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It would be amazing. You don't even have to listen on Apple Podcasts. Just right. give the review. Right. <laughs> And we have our Patreon, which we're starting to do some of our movie talks into yeah. there. Cinema yeah. Strange. Yeah. We'll, we'll drop a few a month. One yeah. to two a month probably in there. Yeah. So, so join us. Yeah. It'll be great. But I think. Until next time. Stay Strange. This has been a production of Planet Ant Podcast powered by Pinecast. Our theme song was recorded by Detroit's own Sax and Violence.